Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. From 7.30 until 8 o'clock, the end of the show, uh, we do a live, or I do a live call-in. I say we because uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, always joins us and uh, has done for several years now. Um, the number of you want to reach us, uh, I'd love to hear from you about either tonight's subjects, uh, continuing topic of serotonin, inflammation, um, superoxide, oxidants, antioxidants, and several other subjects, but uh, the number is 707-923-3911. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never heard Dr. Pete, um, we'll be giving out his details at the end of the show. And for those of you who know a lot about him and have listened to lots of what he's got to say and read his books, uh, I'm sure you'll find this evening's show just as informative. Uh, it's a once-a-month show that we do from 7 to 8 p.m. and from 7.30 until 8 o'clock we do a live call-in. So uh, if people want to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's subject or continuing topic of inflammation, serotonin, etc., uh, number is 707-923-3911, so from 7.30 on. Um, and if people want to line up ahead of time before that, that's just fine too because that also happens. Uh, so once again, uh, very pleased to welcome, introduce Dr. Raymond Pete onto the show. Dr. Pete, are you with us? Yes. Okay, thanks so much for giving your time again, as you always uh, do every third Friday of the month for us. Um, for those people who perhaps have never heard you or heard your name, heard you speak or know anything about you, perhaps, would you just uh, outline your professional and academic background and then we'll get into uh, tonight's topic. Okay. Uh, I got a master's degree with a, a thesis on William Blake from University of Oregon, 1960, uh, and then uh, taught uh, various uh, schools and colleges, uh, and um, in 1968, uh, went back for a PhD in biology, University of Oregon, uh, graduating in 72, and uh, I've been following up on pretty much the same interests uh, ever since the 50s, uh, studying uh, how the brain and body work. Okay, thank you. Uh, I was going to ask, uh, I wanted to ask, I didn't uh, didn't prepare this ahead of time, but um, when, when did you stop seeing people in person? Because you used to consult with people, right? Um, uh, yeah, about uh, 1990, I think it was. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, well, I just wanted to let people know also that's something I should have done at the very beginning of the show because I often find myself wondering what month it was the show was done in. Um, it's November, so November the 15th, 2019. Um, so, Dr. Pete, carrying on from where we left off uh, last month, uh, talking about or discussing parts of your newsletter, but only a small part of it because we didn't get a lot of time to, to cover it. <coughs> Excuse me, but I had um, some more questions then about... Um, tryptophan and serotonin and given that serotonin is formed from this amino acid tryptophan if we are to if we're to avoid this because like, the whole the whole aegis e of this is that uh, serotonin is an inflammatory molecule it's responsible for many negative effects in the body and obviously we'll get you to outline all of those things in detail here so people can understand just how 
you know just how bad it is for you and and its negative effects and why the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are so bad for you uh, given that they allow this product to remain uh, in larger concentrations in the body how best how best can we avoid uh, tryptophan uh, ingestion uh, in order to try and get a, an edge on the serotonin that would be formed from it uh, tryptophan and its metabolites, including serotonin, is essential for life. Every kind of organism is built with proteins containing tryptophan. And the very nature of life, as I see it, and as Albert St. Georgie researched it, he, for the last uh, 30, 40 years of his life, uh, was demonstrating the electronic nature of life, uh, the, the uh, fluorescence, luminescence, uh, electronic conductivity and such uh, of uh, living systems, uh, the proteins uh, interacting with water, uh, producing uh, excited electrons and uh, light emissions, and, and uh, tryptophan is the amino acid that gives proteins that basic property that, uh, according to St. Georgie, uh, is the the essential uh, mechanism of life that, that lets it uh, sense and move. Uh, he was a muscle researcher, uh, among other things, and uh, uh, this electronic property uh, is at the heart of uh, both sensation and, and movement and uh, all of the other uh, familiar properties of life, uh, secretion, consciousness, and so on. Uh, so it's uh, when, when something goes wrong with tryptophan or its metabolites, it disturbs uh, life at its, at its deepest level, uh, cell division and all, all other functions uh, depend on this excitability of tryptophan. And uh, the, uh, in the muscle protein, myosin, for example, uh, there's one particular tryptophan which is uh, most sensitive electronically and uh, to, to uh, light interactions such as phosphorescence. Uh, and this uh, tryptophan interacts electrically or electronically uh, with cysteine, uh, which is an oxidizable sulfur protein. And uh, these are the uh, sort of the electric motor uh, of uh, all the life processes. And uh, they happen to be the uh, uh, essential things uh, during the growth uh, process of an organism. But uh, if you keep the same ratio coming in in your diet uh, and uh, stop growing, uh, they are no longer being uh, consumed in proportion for growth. And so uh, they become uh, sort of free actors which can uh, spread 
excitability and uh, oxidizability uh, randomly in the organism. So during the growth period of an organism, uh, you need the full balanced range of amino acids. Uh, but uh, when, when your body growth stops, uh, all you need uh, to maintain uh, the, the renewal of your skin uh, and uh, intestine lining, lungs, uh, all of the uh, turnover uh, brain proteins that are being renewed and so on, uh, that's a very small amount of, of growth that's going on uh, compared to uh, in your uh, infancy and teens. Uh, those, those amino acids are, are now at risk of becoming uh, random excitatory inflammation-promoting processes. And it happens that uh, uh, gelatin is a major protein that is used for building frameworks, connective tissues, and it has a complete lack of these excitable proteins, cysteine, methionine, and tryptophan. And so if it becomes a major dietary protein when growth is completed, then you reduce the the risk of the inflammatory and degenerative diseases. Do, do you think this uh, could be mitigated through, I mean, I know you don't at all uh, promote any uh, aerobic exercise or stress-inducing exercise, but given that uh, I come from a kind of, not that I am, but I come from a kind of bodybuilding perspective where you do recommend uh, lightweight bearing exercise for people of all ages and actually uh, very much um, support its use for producing muscle mass, muscle burning glucose, uh, being thyroid-stimulatory thyroid, uh, and supportive. Uh, if these amino acids are being consumed and somebody's actually doing some work, then um, does that, would that warrant that diet remaining that way? Because obviously there's an ideal in life, and you've mentioned the gelatin and it being completely um, absent uh, from these inflammatory amino acids. But in terms of a balanced diet that would contain some of these, uh, would you recognize work, uh, doing work, uh, like lifting small weights and um, exercising your body? Is uh, Yeah, by the age of 30 or 40, when <coughs> growth is completed, uh, the bulk of our energy is spent uh, just in maintaining the body, uh-huh. but uh, it has to function uh, to be maintained and renewed. Uh, if you uh, have a cast, for example, uh, on your arm, the muscles will atrophy because they aren't being used. Uh, so just to maintain uh, what we have, uh, we have to be active, uh, and uh, that includes uh, uh, mental or spiritual activity, uh, uh, keeping uh, a freshness uh, of perspective. Uh, this is the uh, uh, <laughs> the environmental enrichment and uh, yeah, yeah, uh, stimulation of, mm. of everything, uh, yeah. mental processes as well as as uh, varied physical activity. Do you, do you think there's a a place for people to get more? 
uh, it's kind of outside the context of this month's show, but I guess a leading question from what you're saying, but in terms of people uh, doing things that you know, hopefully they're interested in, obviously outside of the mundanity of work if they're not interested in that, but they have to do it, but um, actively actively engaging and pursuing things that um, require them to be mobile and engaging with the environment and, um, yeah, environmentally enriching them uh, to be a, a process that is supportive to the organism in terms of, uh, you know, producing good, uh, I don't know, not just feelings, but good uh, good, good results in terms of uh, feeling fulfilled and that fulfillment transferring into a mind-body state that's supportive rather than degenerative and reductive? Uh, you know, it always has to involve newness and invention. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Even conversations can be... Uh, relatively athletic. <laughs> okay. All right, you're listening to Ask Your Do- Herb Doctor on KMUD Garaville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 until the end of the show uh, at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in. The number to reach us here is 707-923-3911. And uh, I just got to ask the engineer, actually, that the clock is missing. There isn't, where's, what's happened to the clock? I didn't <laughs> actually go check in there to make sure the clock was there. It's actually not here. I anyway. suppose we should put that on our checklist. Well, well not a bad idea. This I'll start me. like going like that when you get towards the end, and I'll start doing the music very quietly. Well, I just want to make sure that yeah, pay no attention. The we, music will get loud, and mm-hmm. it'll. Just want to make sure that we have timely intervals. Remind people well, who we are. Uh, I doing. will. I will say yeah. opens. Uh, I will open the lines for calls at half okay. past. How about that? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> so, Doctor Pete, carrying on about tryptophan. I know you've always mentioned that this uh, should be in balance, and that's why you've always talked about gelatin, gelatin-rich products, because it's in the muscle meats where we get the greatest proportion of tryptophan, and that would be, um, you know, consuming excess amounts of muscle meats. And I think you've don't rate more than four ounces or six ounces uh, as being beneficial for us because of the tryptophan content. Um, yeah. So uh, it's, I guess it's possible um, to to avoid, and again, this is kind of a little bit off topic, but I was, uh, I looked at a program that was um, about plant-based, and I don't want to get into a discussion necessarily about plant-based versus animal-based proteins, but it was quite an interesting documentary about, and I think they followed um, several people, maybe four or five quote-unquote athletes, obviously, because I think they were at the top of their game. Uh, But these people were either vegan or just basically got all of their protein from non-animal sources. It was all plant-based proteins. And um, they, Ewan McGregor actually was a, I don't, you didn't have to know him of course, but he is like an MMA fighter. And uh, he was at the top of his game and uh, he was uh, fighting a title bout that was uh, going to challenge him for his title. And um, the chap that he was fighting was a, was a vegan and uh, in the interview McGregor was uh, really castigating him and saying that he was, you know, just a plant eating, you know, whatever. He was weak and he was going to destroy him in the fight. And, um, McGregor lost, and uh, it was such a shock uh, in the circle because uh, he was at the top of his game. And um, they proved, they were doing this physiologically, showing that um, meat consumption, I'm not anti-meat at all, um, you know, but uh, they were showing that consumption of meat 
actually slowed the organism down. And it actually, and I know you've mentioned things like cadaverine and putrescine as being byproducts of meat, and definitely, which is why you advocate not hanging meat, uh, you know, like they do in England, perhaps, or hang pheasants until they start falling apart. And same with their, you know, the vi- uh, venison. But um, anyway, getting, getting back to this um, title fight, they said that uh, they showed physiologically how it was slowing him down and that how his muscles were not able to uh, repolarize, react as repair as quickly and recover as quickly and they were saying that it was pretty much based on his diet and they were really uh, they were really putting meat consumption down but I don't know if I, I think the high phosphate content relative right. to calcium is a big part of that okay. <laughs> it <coughs> wastes the energy uh, it, it's like a, a constant a subliminal stimulus uh, that uh, uh, tends, tends to uh, load the cells up with calcium uh, as if they were uh, uh, fatigued already. Uh-huh. I mean, would you uh, would you be supportive of a plant-based protein diet over getting any kind of meats? Because I know you're you, you know you're really uh, you stand very strongly behind gelatin and uh, well. The problem is that a lot of the uh, plant-based proteins are either uh, overloaded with phosphate, the same mm. as meat, mm. or, right. or or they uh, have potential allergens and uh, defensive molecules that the plants uh, right. have that no no animal has. Right. So you, you just you still advocate uh, very simple amino acid type uh, gelatin protein sources, and then obviously things from dairy. Uh, cheese, milk, and eggs as good quality, clean proteins. Uh, yeah, but it, it's a tremendously important field for research to uh, uh, find uh, what plants hmm. uh, have have the proper nutrients and uh, don't have the toxins. Right. Because like you say, you, you, they nearly always conjugated with the oils, the, li- the liquid oils or the you know polyunsaturates from the nuts and... Um, yeah, then there's other sources, obviously tofu and soy Soy protein has been implicated with having kind of estrogenic effects. As well as high phosphate. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, so getting back to um, getting back to uh, what we were talking about with tryptophan and serotonin, um, I wanted to ask about, and this will, be, this will branch out a little bit later, into uh, insulin uh, resistance, um, and cholesterol production, and yeah, kind of just go in a few different directions, but I try and keep it as uh, focused as possible. That superoxide dismutase, then, this is an enzyme that degrades superoxide, and superoxide sold as uh, a health food supplement, and it's an extreme oxidant, correct? Uh, yes. And, and so, and so, very damaging. And I know last month I asked you just to. Um, break down the oxidation, anti-oxidation uh, kind of concept because we're bombarded with these. I mean, obviously, vitamin C is an antioxidant, and we know vitamin C is very good. But there's also antioxidant effects that are not necessarily positive. Correct? Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> too, too much of an antioxidant uh, is typical cancer metabolism, for example. Right. Go on. Okay, so then that cancer metabolism is a lactic acid-producing uh, uh, physiology uh, as, uh, a, yeah. as a byproduct. Yeah. Okay, 
All right, so um, let's move on then to uh, talk about proteins um, in terms of muscle building and that kind of thing. But um, most proteins contain tryptophan then, which is converted to serotonin. Um, and do you think it's possible to contain enough non-tryptophan-containing proteins for continued muscle growth and repair? Um, all, all of the uh, proteins uh, other than uh, gelatin yeah. that I know of uh, Will will support proper growth and repair. Right. Okay. All right. Fairly straightforward then. All right. And then um, let's have a look here. I wanted to ask you about the pH of the blood. And I know there are people, uh, well, especially uh, on the internet, if you're looking for it, any kind of guidelines for health or health-related uh, topics, um, they'll talk about acidity and alkalinity. And I know the pH of the blood is kept very tightly between uh, 7.35 and 7.45, I think. Um, how much can this change? I mean, it's not really possible for that to change, is it? Oh, but oh yeah. I, I've seen uh, very sick people with extremely high uh, blood pH, uh, uh, 7.5 or 6, for example. Okay, really? So, okay, so it, can go, it can go outside that range. I thought the body did everything it can to keep it... it, it, it does a person has to get, get really sick for the blood to change uh, outside that range? Okay, and and, and uh, you can do it uh, momentarily just by hyperventilating, uh, blowing, uh, breathing so fast that your um, carbon dioxide is being lost, and uh, that can push your your blood pH very high to the point that you uh, might faint or die. Uh, when, when you lose too much CO2, the uh, increased pH uh, tends to cause uh, uh, spasms, including blood vessel spasms, cutting off the circulation of your brain. Can, can you do the opposite of that? Because I know you're a, uh, uh, an advocate of um, increasing CO2. Yeah, rebreathing in a paper bag, for example, uh, you can uh, correct that and lower the pH of your blood uh, to, the, to the point that it can start weakening your muscles and causing uh, too much vasodilation. Right, so it, it is possible to go the other direction equally and oppositely. Um, uh, yeah, muscle weakness is the, yeah. the worst thing that happens. All right, so nothing too much more serious than that, because I know some people are uh, really, uh, really getting into CO2 baths and um, rebreathing CO2s in, in a kind of... Uh, soaking it in through your skin uh, since you're breathing in the ordinary air uh, uh, even though you're absorbing a really large amount of it through your skin it's going to uh, equalize with the air and so you can't overdose sitting in pure co2 okay all right <clears throat> can i uh, i wanted to move on again just to reiterate this for some people perhaps uh, i'm not too sure the connection was made quite as clearly as this, but I was looking at um, I was looking at some articles today, just going through some material to see what else could be fleshed out uh, with this evening's uh, talk, carrying on from last month. But uh, statins, I'll be, I'm going to go on about statins again, but just to, just to mention again that the uh, brain actually creates its own cholesterol, and cholesterol systemically 
is too big a molecule to get across the blood-brain barrier. And I know I asked you last month about the blood-brain barrier and how uh, physiologically intact it was. And I know that you mentioned several um, several components that wouldn't typically get across a blood-brain barrier could in certain instances. And I think a little bit like the intestinal um, barrier. Uh, uh, yeah, fairly large fats can massively go into the brain. Uh, uh, well, they escaping uh, from the blood. Interesting. Okay, so you say fat, some fairly large fats, but you don't think that cholesterol will, will pass the blood-brain barrier, do you? Um, I, yeah, I think it can, <laughs> uh, given the right circumstances. <laughs> wow. Okay, because I, what I what I wanted to say was that, um, insofar as the literature is concerned, I'm not saying the literature has it right and you don't, but so far as the literature is concerned, that that, um, that molecules they say is too big to get across the blood-brain barrier, and and hence um, whatever the biological reason for however long we've been around, um, the brain, because it is such a both energy-hungry uh, org- organ. And because the white matter of the brain is principally cholesterol, they say that 20% of the body's cholesterol is actually in the brain, uh, and presumably because of the white matter, and presumably because of the uh, insulating effects of cholesterol on the neurons, and that the enzyme uh, HMG-CoA reductase uh, produces cholesterol, and that statins, for those people, unfortunately, who might be using them, but hopefully they'll look to an alternative if they don't completely ban them, but they probably won't because they're making too much money from it. Um, this, The statins do pass and cross into the blood-brain barrier. So, I, I, I imagine what they do to the brain is what they do to the muscles. And if you're uh, soaked in uh, statins and uh, do vigorous exercise, the uh, interference with cholesterol can cause your muscle to break down and simply dissolve and disintegrate. And I'm afraid that same thing uh, can happen in the brain, accounting for the uh, depression, uh, suicidality and such. Right. Because they're saying, they're saying that these are some of the common side effects that they advertise as part of their disclaimer for the products. So, um, but just to bring out again from a, a kind of a simplistic, maybe mechanistic uh, point, that the fact that you have this statin crossing into the brain and actually lowering your brain's, brain's cholesterol uh, is, is a definite reason or cause for concern because typically um, if you had a low cholesterol situation which was not actually um you know due to oh, just an, an inherently high uh genetic reason for producing cholesterol that if you start lowering it systemically and this is crossing into your brain and your brain is suffering as a result of this you're going to get some very uh, very odd neurological um side effects of it um, uh, yeah the, the old brain is sort of like uh a clump of atherosclerosis. <laughs> it's uh, got lots of cholesterol, but it's bound to fatty acids. And in in the old brain, free cholesterol is actually lower than in the young brain. It's the bound up, uh, interfering type of cholesterol that accumulates in the aged brain as in the aged blood vessels. Hmm. But your brain is not like that, is it? <laughs> uh, avoiding vegetable oils for a long time. <laughs> there you go. Probably helps. Uh-huh, good. All right, you're listening to... I have no idea what time it is, but you're... 
Oh, okay, there you go. You're listening to Ask Europe, Dr. K, Mudi Galville, 91.1 FM. Um, from now until 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions. Uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, is our guest, and the number, if you live in the areas, or if you, even if you don't live out in the area, if you live anywhere on the planet, it's 707-923-3911. Um, I looked at... <coughs> do we... You're counting, okay. <laughs> just expecting the phone to start ringing. Okay, so uh, I was looking at um, some uh, some uh, articles this afternoon, and I saw an article about Hans Selye, which you mentioned uh, quite a lot, saying that um, he was doing work on muscular dystrophy, uh, and by administering serotonin to animals, this was this was uh, caused. He actually could uh, he could precipitate muscular dystrophy in animals. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, that was in the late 50s and, and early 60s that he was doing those experiments. And uh, uh, despite that being in the, in the literature, uh, in the 70s, uh, uh, tryptophan supplements became uh, a popular <laughs> fad, uh, and there was a lot of uh, 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 sickness produced by it. Uh, uh, I, I think there were uh, mental problems, but uh, muscle inflammation and an immune uh, problem uh, was, was the uh, focus of the disease that, that became uh, well known. And the FDA blamed it on on a bad type of, of tryptophan that they never explained. But uh, Hans Selye was producing it with a tryptophan simply in excess. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, we have a we have a caller on the uh, on the line. So, uh let's take this caller call away from what's your question? Hi, good evening. I'm calling from Santa Barbara, California. Hi, welcome to um, the show. Thank you. Um I just have a question. Are you familiar with the hair tissue mineral analysis test? Mhm. Yeah, Dr. Okay. Go on. Yeah. Okay, great. I just had some uh, results of that. And my first question was, is I have a very high sodium to potassium, potassium ratio. Uh, my my um, sodium is 34 and my potassium is 1. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know what could be causing that and what do you do about it? Uh, was it a hair analysis? Yeah, a hair, hair uh, tissue yeah, analysis. It, it could be that you... Uh, uh, have hard water or have a water softener that puts sodium into the water? Yes, Santa Barbara has water softeners in lots of the houses. Do you yeah. have Do you have a water softener in your house? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. Uh, that puts sodium into the water, and so it will skew the, the hair test. Ah, okay. Um, and then just one more on those... Um, I have a the ratio between the calcium and the potassium is is very skewed as well. My calcium is forty six and the potassium is one. I'm I'm, I'm not sure that that could be uh, from hard water rather than softened water, but uh, I, I wouldn't worry about a, a hair mineral test. A, a serum test is much more useful. Right. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's basically uh, anything that you're exposed to, like Dr. Pete mentioned in the first instance here, if you're showering and your water's been uh, softened that way, then that could easily explain how the hair would take up those components and would show to be 
high in one and low in another, but um, obviously blood tests are the best way to do it. Did, okay. Did, did you have then, any particular reason for testing your hair, or was this just uh, curiosity? Uh, no, yeah, I am working, like, with a, a functional nutritionist, and mm. I've um, had the Dutch hormone testing done previously, and okay. I've d- had some uh, stool sampling done, and so as we progress, kind of trying to figure out the puzzle pieces of my symptoms, yeah. um, this was another... Um, this test was recommended by her. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you want to uh, talk about what it was you were looking for help for? Or? Oh, sure. Yeah. I um, Basically, a uh, couple years ago, I started having symptoms of um, hypoglycemia, yeah. which I still have now. And how old are you? Um, I'm 46. Okay, go Carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So I've had that. I've had um, basically increased. Uh, weight gain during these last couple years I've gained probably about 40 pounds Um, I have changed my diet significantly that was obviously a big problem for me but my my diet is very um, uh, I follow a lot of Dr. Pete's recommendations my uh, my practitioner follows his work so um, I've you know done a lot of those changes and everything but Basically, I have, like, hypoglycemia. I have problems with anxiety. Um, my inflammation marker is very high. Um, and then, like I said, the weight gain and my hormones indicate um, I have high cortisol. Mm-hmm. So those are all kind of things that we've been trying to work on. Okay. Dr. P, hypoglycemia with high cortisol uh, and weight gain. And anxiety. And anxiety, yeah. Uh, vitamin so, D. Yeah. And calcium and and thyroid mm-hmm. are likely involved. Vitamin D, calcium, and thyroid. Uh huh. Uh huh. Have you have so, you had your vitamin D measured? Do you know what that is? Or yes, um, the most recent one I've had done, I want to say it was around fifty ish. Okay, that's good. All right. And uh, then the, then uh, the <coughs> amount of calcium in your diet uh, works with both. Uh, thyroid and vitamin D to uh, keep your metabolic rate up and your blood sugar steady. Uh, okay. Uh, two two grams a day of of calcium is is a good level. Do you drink any milk or do you take a calcium supplement or? Um, I don't take a calcium supplement, but I do drink milk and I do eat high quality dairy. Mm-hmm. How much milk do you drink? Um, I would, well, I've increased that, uh, per Dr. Pete. So I, I mean, for me, probably about 16 ounces and I'm drinking, um, 2% milk. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, twice that much yeah. of 1% would be better. Uh, uh, two, two quarts of skimmed or 1% helps to lose weight because of the high calcium content. And you said about like thir- what did you say on the ounces? From 32. one quart to two quarts. Yeah. Oh, okay, one to two quarts of okay, of yeah, 1%. more than one percent. Okay, yeah. and, um, and that tends to increase your temperature. And if your temperature doesn't uh, rise quickly in the morning when you get up and eat breakfast, if it doesn't get up to ninety-eight point six, I uh, half hour after breakfast, uh, then uh, you're likely to 
need a thyroid supplement too. Yeah, I do. I do do the temperatures and pulses, and I I tend to have low temperatures. Um, and then I did I did try um, some Nature Throid, um, a very like the like the lowest dosage. I forget the like quarter grain or uh, something like that. But I started having um, more negative effects with it. I started having like. My anxiety was more increased, and I sort of had to be like more aggressive, like behavior, like a real short fuse, and that kind of stuff. So I quit taking that after about a month. Um, one of the effects of uh, thyroid is to make your cells able to retain the magnesium that they need, and um, if your diet doesn't have enough magnesium. Uh, and, and two quarts of milk uh, would give you a generous supply of, of magnesium, which would make the uh, thyroid uh, able to work more quickly. And, and the, okay. the normal function of thyroid is to increase your ability to relax both both muscles and, and nerves. Okay. Okay. I appreciate your time. Thank you both so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so uh, people want to call in numbers seven zero seven nine two three three nine one one. Dr. Raymond Pete's with us in the studio. Okay, um, so Dr. Pete, going back to the um, going back to the positive effects, and we've mentioned it's positive. It's only ever positive, but it's demonised um, in the industry in terms of uh, treatments uh, for lowering it. Cholesterol's uh, effect is un. un- Undoubtable in terms of regulating, regulating the uh, the system, regulating and supporting and stabilizing cells. Uh, let me just okay. There's a caller on the line. Let's get this caller before we uh, jump into this next question. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? I'm from Mendocino County. Okay, hi. What's your question? My question is: I've just been recently diagnosed with osteoporosis, and uh, I was wondering an alternative way to treat that. Yeah. How how old are you? Sixty-two. Sixty-two. Okay. There's plenty of good, plenty of good ways to do this, but let Dr. Pete uh, let Dr. Pete discuss it. Go ahead, Dr. Pete. Okay, uh, keeping keeping the parathyroid hormone uh, under control is e- essential, uh, and uh, uh, eating a, a lot of calcium, uh, like uh, two quarts of milk, uh, and keeping your your uh, vitamin D serum level up to the middle of the range, like 50 NG per ml. Uh, that uh, is a good basis. But if your thyroid hormone is low, uh, then your, your pro- prolactin will likely be high enough that the prolactin itself has a bone-weakening effect. Uh, prolactin is normally the, the hormone of lactation, <clears throat> Uh, and it takes calcium out of the bone uh, normally to put into the milk, but uh, under stress it, it causes uh, calcium to be lost from the bone. And uh, uh, prolactin tends to rise along with thyroid-stimulating hormone, and uh, uh, the, the simplest way to, to normalize prolactin is to normalize your thyroid function. Keep <clears throat> keep your 
thyroid stimulating hormone uh, at the <clears throat> lower end of the normal range. Okay, how do you keep the thyroid? How do you do that? Um, if you can't do it just with um, a selection of foods, uh, then a supplement. Uh, a thyroid supplement? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I do not like milk, so is there something else that I could do to get calcium? Oh, uh, well, uh, cooked greens are, are the uh, food that's richest other than milk in calcium relative to phosphate. But uh, if you grind up eggshells, uh, that's a, a good pure form of calcium carbonate, which is next best to milk. Okay, how much? How many uh, ground-up egg cells do you do per day? Oh, a, a couple of grams would be good. Okay. So All can, right. Yeah, so you can just use your eggs. Egg, if you use eggs, you can just put them to one side and uh, gently wash out the membrane and stack them up for a week or so, and then after a week you can put them on a baking tray and put them in the oven at about 150 uh, and uh, basically sterilize them that way and then put them in a coffee grinder and then they'll grind up very finely into a fine powder. Um, do have some people who use these uh, kind of approaches to calcium rather than pills and capsules that do say that best taken uh, with food uh, can irritate some people's stomachs um, but it's a very clean way especially if you're using organic eggs uh, to get a good quality calcium carbonate and it's almost all calcium so um, 2,000 milligrams a day is what Dr. Pete said so 2 grams uh, it's about it's about 3 one eighth teaspoons, I think. I think an eighth teaspoon is six hundred and fifty odd milligrams. Okay. So, yeah. So if, right. you, if you don't drink milk or eat cheese or get lots of cooked greens and you are calcium uh, calcium lean, then that's obviously going to work against you. But can I quickly ask you what kind of uh, menstrual history you had? Um, I had. I went through menopause at early age at forty five. Forty five. Yeah. All right. I just, I've just spoken to a lot of women who have either had hysterectomies and very poor hormone replacement approaches done or have had really bad menstrual cycles and um, been very high estrogen. And a lot of these women show very early osteopenia um, in their 40s and then osteo, um, bordering osteoporotic by 50. It's not what you want. You really want to address this. And vitamin D and calcium and thyroid are going to be the best least invasive and certainly most tolerable uh, approach to dealing with your osteoporosis because you're only young and uh, you know hopefully you're going to live quite a while longer and it's going to it's not going to get any better if you don't address it um, unopposed cortisol is yeah. another bone yeah. dissolving uh, hormone uh, what is that uh, cortisol, cortisol. If, if it's e even in the higher part of the normal range uh, in a morning test if it isn't balanced with the uh, adrenal uh, DHEA and progesterone and other adrenal uh, steroids, uh, that can, can contribute to uh, osteoporosis and supplementing uh, progesterone and DHEA and or pregnenolone uh, can oppose that effect of cortisol. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Pete. Okay, good. So the number, if you live uh, anywhere on the planet and you'd like to ask Dr. Peter a question uh, during this evening's call, uh, ending at 8 o'clock here, it's 707-923-391.
Uh, so, Dr. Pete, just getting back to um, cholesterol for a little bit. Um, in terms of what has been so popularized and so treated with statins, uh, cholesterol's positive effects, I think, are just beginning to come to pass, you know, and I think it's a little bit like a sea change that's uh, occurred with the uh, whole perpetration of uh, polyunsaturates supposedly being good for you and saturated fats being bad for you, which is, I think, now at last uh, finally seeing the light of day. And um, I'm reading reports on the Internet. I'm not saying the Internet is the only sole source of any information, but uh, seeing some good articles coming out about how that is just so. And I know you've been talking about it for 40 years or more, and I'm sorry that it's taken... So long for everybody, you know, including us 10 years ago, we're still thinking that that's the way it was. But I'm also starting to see some good articles that have been written um, expounding uh, the benefits of cholesterol and just outlining in very plain, simple, layman terms just how be- beneficial cholesterol is and why it's so important and that the whole LDL, HDL thing is a complete myth. And there are actually a lot more studies showing that some of these oxidized LDL particles are probably more responsible for the inflammatory uh, initial insult on the endothelia of the vessels that then causes um, cholesterol to be laid down as a repair mechanism, which during dissection of a cadaver who's died of a heart attack, for example, they'll say, oh, they'll say, they say here, here's the cholesterol, it's blocked the arteries, that's why he's dead. When actually all the time, and you've always said, it's the initial insult from things like lipofushkin or other oxidative byproducts of lipid metabolism that have caused initial insult. But um, in terms of the brain uh, and the brain's functioning, um, so cholesterol, is, I can't, can't really, can't really state it enough just how important it is to have adequate cholesterol and that low cholesterol is virtually unspoken about. People, you find it very hard to find any information regarding low cholesterol because no one's looking that way. And I wonder just how many people, uh, actually present with a blood test and their doctor's saying, oh, your cholesterol's great. You know, whenever I've had, uh, blood work done and my cholesterol is probably, 120 at the moment um it's always wow your cholesterol's great and i'm thinking no it's not it's nowhere near high enough you know and i know you've always said that you should be about 200 so a cholesterol of 120 is obviously not good for me um but yeah it's not at all influenced by diet and in terms of uh, your body will make cholesterol out of just about anything mm-hmm. yeah okay there's a caller on the air let's let's get this caller Hi, Corley. Yeah, where are you from? What's your My name is John, and uh, I'm 78. Over the last year, or maybe a little more, I guess, uh, my PSA's gone up okay. precipitously yep. from 4 to 5 to 20. Okay. And I wonder if there's any supplements that can help me drive that down. Yeah. Dr. P, it's probably not in isolation for this, but this, this uh, person's PSA... Uh, is 20 now. Um, I, I think everything anti-inflammatory is the right approach. Uh, uh, a diet uh, low in phosphate is a, a very basic anti-inflammatory thing. Uh, and, and so... Uh, I'm going to hang up. Um, the the um, cooked, cooked greens, uh, cheese... Milk and eggs are, are uh, anti-inflammatory foods. Uh, uh, keeping your thyroid function up uh, so that your uh, uh, 
your, your liver is, is helping to balance uh, your hormones, uh, keeping estrogen down, uh, uh, adequate protein, uh, a good calcium phosphate ratio, uh, and a, a, a fair, fairly uh, high uh, normal uh, uh, body temperature is important uh, to lower inflammation and to keep the ratio of estrogen low. Do you think, Dr. Pete, from a uh, from an herb, herbal medicine perspective, the uh, kind of rationale of using aromatase inhibitors from things like nettle root or using the uh, sterols, pardon me, from uh, saw palmetto uh, might be anti-estrogenic and that's how that could be uh, a rationale for treating high, uh, prostatic hypertrophy. If you, do you think high, prostatic hypertrophy is down to estrogens as much as anything else? Um, yeah, uh, estrogen... Uh is a, a growth and carcinogenic right. uh, factor mm-hmm. in the prostate. Right. And uh, as men get older, their estrogen, no doubt, rises, especially as testosterone is on the decline. Um, yeah. And the, the men who live the longest with prostate cancer have the highest testosterone. <laughs> what? <laughs> the men that live the longest yeah. with prostate cancer have the highest testosterone? Uh, yeah. So in that okay, yeah. So that the testosterone, the testosterone in that in that point then is uh, kind of protective, huh? Uh, yeah, and in the <laughs> early nineties, uh, when uh, they started using the PSA right. test as a diagnosis of prostate cancer, uh, the mortality from prostate cancer uh, took a huge surge upward, and mm. uh, some of the doctors noticed that and decided maybe it wasn't a good idea to diagnose prostate cancer. Right, because a lot of the times, you have said this quite a few times before now, but a lot of the times it can. I'm not advocating people just don't do anything about a supposed cancer marker um, that is, you know, possibly uh, treatable, especially from a medical perspective. Um, but you've, you've mentioned quite a few times that people um, found in in the mortuary they've just died from some other cause and they've been found with a wide range of different cancers that hasn't been the thing that's killed them or they've been found with prostate uh enlargement and or you know a benign type dysplastic prostatic inflammation a couple studies found that a hundred percent of of people who died at the age of 50 or more uh, (laughs) all of them had diagnosable cancer somewhere right yeah yeah so the, uh, the the caller the the best thing the best things for you um, talking about what Dr. Pete's been uh, mentioning uh, if you can obviously uh, maintain physical activity uh, in terms of keeping your testosterone as high as you can for being a male that's certainly very protective and anti-estrogenic estrogen being one of those hormones that rises in males especially in males that are obese or you know. Uh, they have more fat than uh, is good for them, uh, especially because of that tissue tends to accumulate and or produce estrogen in its own right. And then there are two um, herbs that I, I mean, there's more than that, but uh, the two that come to mind instantly are things like nettle root as an aromatase inhibitor, and that uh, has an effect blocking estrogen, uh, and then the saw palmetto extract. But there's lots of there's lots of information about um, alternative medicines for enlarged prostate um, but I think obviously keeping an eye on your, your PSA in conjunction with using some of those herbs that have been used for prostatic enlargement and 
uh, making sure that your estrogen is being opposed by testosterone and, and getting exercise. And aspirin is a neuromodulator inhibitor. There you go. And aspirin is certainly something that's very well tolerated, very inexpensive and very easily uh, to get hold of. Okay, we do have uh, one more caller on the air, so let's get this next caller. Caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Um, what's your question? I'm in uh, Humboldt in Redway. Okay. I, my question is, how can I get off Selexa? Okay. Uh, we had we had a very similar question uh, last month about a lady who called in uh, yeah, on SSRIs um, and wanted wanted help with that. So, um, in terms of in terms of uh, dose, have you ever tried reducing the dose of this and then um, slowly withdrawing from it? Um, I would be willing to try that. Yeah. It's one. I mean, Dr. P. In terms of withdrawing, we we talked about this last month. So, in terms of uh, withdrawing from an SSRI, it's not to be done unsupported. Um, but you, know, you mentioned last month that there's um, plenty to do in terms of supporting the physiology with thyroid, um, with other you know positive lifestyle diet changes that um, um, basically will allow a person to slowly taper off of an SSRI and not be um, not be basically overloaded with uh, this this product serotonin. Yeah, one of their effects tends to um, increase the stress hormones uh, and so an anti-stress program. Uh, I've, I've known people to withdraw from uh, uh, several different uh, addictive things including the SSRIs uh, using progesterone and coffee and thyroid and uh, a good high calcium diet for example yeah. how, how long have you been using it for many years yeah yeah i mean obviously it's uh I mean, it's unfortunate we're getting so close to the top of the hour and the end of the show but in terms of um it's used for the treatment of anxiety and depression etc etc and all the label recommendations that are given for prescribing it in the first place um in terms of your headspace and uh, where you are and what you're engaged with what stimulates you or what or what uh, you know upsets you even um there's certainly scope there for you know lifestyle changes but um uh, as dr pete's mentioned you know in terms of anti-stress things there are certainly components that in your diet are anti-stress and that support your thyroid and are anti-inflammatory and decrease the quote-unquote stress uh, which is on you know on, on, on like lifestyle changes that like go out and run or walk every no. day no we're not running for sure but in terms of uh, gentle weight-bearing exercise and walking and reading and being in the sunlight you know or in a bright room making sure you've got exposure to that good red light etc etc especially in the winter now we're coming with uh, you know long day long nights and short days and the whole seasonal affective disorder being a fairly widespread thing in, in this part of the world as uh, thyroid gets low as the winter's coming um, there's thyroid hormone and then there's opposing your estrogen as a female which undoubtedly will have a beneficial effect um, and keeping up vitamin d yeah um, hormone replacement therapy no uh, no not a big advocate of hormone replacement therapy well the only hormone would be progesterone to oppose your estrogen but um, if you're on any kind of hormone replacement that's uh, estrogen based then you really don't want to be doing that mm. 
it's uh, it's completely not what you're going to hear from your doctor, perhaps, you know, or maybe some uh, naturopath who's a little more uh, current. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I don't even have a clock in front of me. What what time is it, Michael? <laughs> I guess it's that time. I'm afraid we've got to... Gentle music where you yeah. wrap up. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you've got a minute to yeah. say goodbye to Dr. Pete. Yeah. But. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Pete, for joining us. Okay, thank you. Okay, for, if if that lady wants to contact us any any time afterwards, um, basically you can just email me. My email address is andrew at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and email me. Uh, I'll respond to your email next week uh, when I get back in the office on Monday. Um, okay, so for those who've listened, thanks for joining in the show. Um, uh, same third Friday of next month, um, December. And uh, for those people who've listened to Dr. Pete, uh, want to find out more about him, www.raypete.com. Uh, he's got plenty of uh, well-written articles that are fully backed up by studies that you can just go ahead and look at on the Internet. So uh, people want alternatives. They want some uh, hope, definitely a good thing to have, and uh, very positive. There's lots of alternatives, so don't have to be forced down one particular way to do something. Anyway, until uh, next month. Oh, I just wanted to mention that in January, uh, Sarah will be back. <laughs> so for all those people, all those people who keep saying, oh, where's Sarah, where's Sarah? Uh, anyway, uh, thanks so much for joining. Until next month. <laughs>